What do the letters in NAFTA stand for? Welcome to Trivial Context, where we give trivia some context. I'm Sean Riley with my all-time trivia partner. Brooke Riley. <laughs> NAFTA. I have no... National Aeronautics Force Triple... Awesomeness. Nailed it. North American Free Trade Agreement. That's so boring. Well, neither of us got it right. Oh, yeah, that's right. We will answer the next question. Which U.S. First Lady graced the $1 silver certificate in 1886? I'm going to say Mary Todd Lincoln. Martha Washington. All right, well, we're zero for two right now. (laughs) Let's do a third. Okay, let's do a third. In the 1920s, the U.S. military drafted a plan called War Plan Red, which detailed the invasion of which country? 1920s, it's got to be... Well, now I'm doubting myself. I was going to say it's got to be Russia, but now I'm like, well, maybe it's China. I'm going to say Russia. I don't think we cared about China back then. I I have no idea. Canada. <laughs> oh, Canada. It was scrapped at the start of World War II. <laughs> well, we have failed our history lessons. Yeah, zero for three tonight. That's okay. I will go first. How about that? Sounds great. Okay. And uh, starting off with a, a fourth kind of difficult question for you. What are the three pillars of Chinese moral philosophy, or in other words, the three main religions? Buddhism, Taoism, Taoism, Taoism. So Taoism and Taoism are the same. It's just different pronunciations. Okay. I knew that. Taoism being the correct translation. Gosh. Is it blatantly obvious I'm just missing it? I would say moral philosophy. Kind of focusing on that part of the question, it is Confucianism. Mm. Today, I will talk about Taoism. Okay. For some personal context, I lived in Hong Kong for two years. I speak Cantonese. I can read and write traditional Chinese. I had, at one point, pretty passable Mandarin. I could communicate. Yeah, he helped me uh, when I took a semester of Mandarin. In college. Yeah, and you've lived in China for real. Yeah, I lived in mainland China. Yeah. For about nine months. Very cool. Did not learn the language. You 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 know stuff, Taiguila. Yeah, that's too expensive. How much is that? Yeah. Thank you. I'm so sorry. I'm yeah. American. <laughs> My favorite story of this person going to an overseas Asian country is, like, I would go to a restaurant and I'd point at the food I wanted at like a picture or, or whatever it is and if I liked it I'd go there the next day and point at it again <laughs> mm-hmm. one time at a restaurant I acted like a chicken so they knew we wanted chicken dumplings perfect yeah <laughs> and then every time we went back to the restaurant they all just laughed at me oh. so that's a low point can you say they all just laughed at me this direction they all just laughed at me so that's a low point there's a lot of heat coming from over there. <laughs> the Mandate of Heaven. This concept is so important about Chinese history all the way up to the Qing Dynasty, the last dynasty, which ended the 1920s, which is interesting, that we had dynasties in the 20th century. That is pretty nuts. Yeah. Simply put, the Mandate of Heaven is the idea that if you're going to lead China, you better have the blessing of the gods. Otherwise, you will fail. Sometimes this was extended to the emperors being literal gods themselves. Sometimes they were blessed for their actions. So with that in the back of our minds, we come to the start of our journey. A man named Lao Tzu, 
which is more of a title than a name. Lao Tzu means old master. He, he's kind of like a legendary figure. I'll, I'll get into it, but he was a contemporary of Confucius. They knew each other. That's nuts. Yeah. Confucius is old. Hmm? 600 BC. Confucius was very nearly the topic of today's report, but after kind of going into all three of these religions, philosophies, I thought Lao Tzu was the one I knew the least about and therefore the most interesting to me. Yeah. So there are many different accounts of his life, Lao Tzu's life. He appears to be a record keeper in the court of the central Zhou dynasty in the 6th century BC. I say Zhou dynasty, but this time in China is referred to as the spring and autumn period, as it is somewhat between two dynasties, or or at the very latter end of the Zhou dynasty. After tiring of the moral corruption of the Zhou court, Lao Tzu decides to leave to go to the far west, basically like far west, modern China, maybe a little bit India, maybe Tibet, maybe Nepal. This is not a geography. (laughs) I lost my friend. So at the border of the country, a soldier stops him and asks Lao Tzu to write his wisdom down for the betterment of his people. These writings become the Tao Te Ching, the Taoist holy book. Lao Tzu continues west and is never heard from again, though many believe him to be the teacher of Siddhartha Gautama, who later becomes Buddha. It's pretty nuts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so if it wasn't clear, historians now argue he never existed. He's a pseudo-mythological figure similar to Homer of Greece. In reality, the Tao Te Ching is a compilation of writings of many moral philosophers over time. He might have existed but odds are he didn't write everything accredited to him, and he likely didn't do everything accredited to him either. Regardless of his existence, it cannot be argued about his impact on China, and even the world. Estimates say there are, on the upper end, about half a billion Taoists in the world today. Not a small number. No. (laughs) So Taoism, Confucianism, and Buddhism are deeply intertwined with one another. While Western religions are almost exclusion-based, insofar as you can't believe in this god, you have to believe in this new god. If you convert, you leave your stuff behind. Mm -hmm. And especially Christianity, like Christmas exists in December to get rid of all the pagan holidays and and all of these things. So on the other side of that, these Eastern religions, which blur the line of religion and philosophy, are complementary to one another. You can... Think like a Taoist, pray like a Buddhist, and talk like a Confucianist. And claim whatever you want. There's a story about these three leaders, being Buddha, Confucius, and Lao Tzu. They each drink vinegar. Confucius finds it sour, much like he views the world, full of degenerate people. Buddha finds it bitter, much like the bitter suffering of the people of the world. Whereas Lao Tzu finds it to be sweet. This is telling as Taoism focuses on finding the apparent discord in the world and seeing an underlying harmony guided by something called the Tao, or the path. I would say Do. Do Lo. It's literally like road. Mm. So, or Tao Lao, I guess would be Mandarin. Like, yeah, that's road. So Tao is the same Tao. means path. The Tao Te Ching describes the Tao. It gives instructions often vague and open to interpretation about how to live a good life. The Tao is the way of the world, in quotes, which is the way to happiness, virtue, and harmony. So when I lived in Hong Kong, I was very confused because, yeah, like, I would ask people, what do you believe? And they say, bye, son. I, I worship my ancestors. And I go, okay, like, what is that? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. Like, are there gods involved? Or... Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. And 
it's because I come from the West. So I would see, yeah, I would see someone be in someone's home and they would have a shrine with, yeah, like a Buddha sitting on one counter and a yin-yang symbol sitting on like a plaque somewhere else and all of these things. And it was confusing stuff. Yeah. So I, I was really actually thankful to research this and kind of like for my own benefit, just kind of like really learn what that culture is like. Mm-hmm. So what do Taoists believe? And I want to say again, I am not Taoist. So if you are a believer and I say something you find to be incorrect, I apologize. I have no intention of telling people what they believe. Yeah. I feel like for everything we try and be like very respectful. Yeah, that is my goal. This is just how I understood it. Mm-hmm. So there are five precepts, and these might sound familiar. No killing, no stealing, no sexual misconduct, no false speech, and no taking of intoxicants. These five are similar to the five Buddhist tenets, and the last five of the Ten Commandments. Oh. So they just lost the, the first five. They lost the first five. Yeah. There's that great... Oh, I don't remember the name of the movie, but Moses comes out with three... Uh, three tal- tablets. Tablets. <laughs> comes out with three tablets and says, I have these 50... Oh, he drops one and it breaks. These ten. These ten commandments. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. Then there is the Tao that I talked about, the path. To follow the Tao, Lao Tzu outlines that you can't just read or think about it. You instead need to flow with it, having an effortless action. Much like water doesn't think, it simply goes. This effortless action is called Wu Wei. The universe has a flow, and when we humans act on our own accord or in our own self-interest, we often push against that flow. What happens when flowing water meets resistance? You know, you get... To the umpth degree, you get whitewater rapids. And that whitewater rapids being the world, chaotic, destructive, horrible. But if we all decide to move with the water instead of create obstacles for it, then it's just swift moving and and no problem. Yeah, it's a good visual. Thank you. Then there is the zirun, which translates into self-organization. This involves freeing oneself from selfishness and desire. And appreciating simplicity, you know. Hear the music, smell the roses kind of situation. Taoist practice, meditation, chant scriptures, and worship a variety of gods and goddesses and temples. So, again, this was a big question for me going in, is who do they worship? So before Buddhism, Confucianism, and Taoism, ancient Chinese people worshipped a pantheon of over 200 gods, as well as their own ancestors. All three modern religions were heavily influenced by these ancient practices. In fact, the three modern-day religions are referred to as lifestyles more than straight religions, saying you can worship however you want. This is just how you should treat yourself, other people, and the world. I will say, the Tao Te Ching elevates three gods to be the top, the three pure ones. But for the most part, worship who you want, or worship as you will. Now, the part of the report that really spurred me on to research it The question I had while I was reading this kind of synopsis before I really delved in is what was so bad about China in the 6th century BC that led to two world-famous figures coming up with their own moralistic code (laughs) and a third swooping in from India like less than 200 years later converting millions. At this point, billions. Yeah. The answer, what was so bad about China at that point, is a lot. (laughs) Yeah. The Zhou Dynasty was an apparent figurehead, lacking any real power, like the modern-day British royal family, Shade Throne and Shade Mint. 
with a weak (laughs) to non-existent government, the city-states were being invaded pretty much all the time. Philosophers were writing down what they thought would help people regain the mandate of heaven. Again, the driving force between a lot of these big dynastic (laughs) periods is this mandate of heaven. And what they wrote down is how to be a good person. Seems pretty pretty important. (laughs) So the spring and autumn period led to the 100 schools of thought, meaning aside from Taoism and Confucianism and Buddhism, they also brought legalism and Moism and, and many, many others that we don't know anything about, and I'll get to that in a second. To further drive this home, Sun Tzu's Art of War, arguably one of the most famous books from the East, was written in this period, which despite its name and reputation constantly implores the use of diplomacy. Uh, the best way to win a war is to not have to pick up your spear. That's deep. <laughs> That's the book. <laughs> so the Zhou Dynasty eventually fell during the Warring Period, right after the Spring and Autumn, opening the door for the Qin Dynasty, the dynasty that gives us the name China. Hey. Yeah, kind of. This is also the dynasty that tried to force everyone to, in quotes, be Chinese. They did this by burning so many books and records to destroy the self-identity of the city-states. If your goal is ever to burn a book, I think you need to take a step back (laughs) and say, maybe not. Yeah, perhaps I am in the wrong. Yeah, I heard a story recently that just outside of like Lubbock, Texas, or around that area, um, it was the highest selling point, like the most concentrated selling point for Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Like more than San Francisco, more than New York, in America, I should say. They were just selling like crazy. And it's because all of these churches and leaders got together and said, we can't let our kids read this devil worship magic stuff. So they bought every copy like in a certain radius and then burned them. Wow. Yeah. Way to support everything. Or you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Uh, apparently one of these people in like the jk rowling foundation or whatever like saw these numbers of all of these books being sold and like contacted the mayor and was like hey we should like you guys are great like such big supporters we should come visit and all this stuff he said um actually (laughs) yeah i don't i don't know about the rest of the story i don't actually know if that story is true but (laughs) but it's a story but it's a story (laughs) so all in all it is a bad time for china but Dynasty after dynasty, Taoism, along with the other philosophies, kept spreading. Jump to nearly a millennia later, in 400 AD, these three moral philosophies like really found their footing, took hold in China. Immediately after this, the Dung Dynasty unites all of China for, you know, about the seventh time. And with these three pillars as its backbone, it brings China into its first golden age. For the first time pretty much ever in the history of all China, Food was in good supply. No way. Yeah. That never, that never ever happened. They encouraged charting their own history, which hadn't happened for a long time. Technology was advancing like crazy, and art and literature also made a big jump forward. And the Dung Dynasty lasted a hot minute compared to many other much shorter-lived dynasties. So uh, what I mean to say is discussing morality, thinking about it, teaching others, and most importantly, living morally is obviously important. And I think if we all do it, it could even lead to the next golden age. So that is my report. I was really all over the place this week, not knowing what I wanted to 
talk about what I wanted to research. I I went from you know I watched Hamilton recently. Maybe I should do George Washington, and then all <laughs> like I, I was everywhere, and I finally decided like I I don't know the difference between Buddhism and Taoism, and I didn't even really know that Confucianism was a part of that. Right. Like I thought he was just like a guy that wrote a book. I really enjoyed researching this, and I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. It's always nice to have just, like, little things explained. Yeah. Like, that you continually question, if that makes sense. <laughs> this has literally been a question on my mind. For years. For, yeah, five years? Yeah, and now you know. And now I know. Happy for you. Thank you, thank you. What is your opening question, Brooke? Well, multi-billion dollar company was started by a 19th century doctor who was controversial in his practices... Okay, I know you really like Heinz, mm-hmm. and I know you really hate Post, mm-hmm. so <laughs> I think it's either Kellogg or Heinz. I'm gonna... I, I don't think Heinz was a doctor, so I'm gonna lock in a Kellogg. Did it. I did it? You did it. Oh. Yeah. Well, that'd be funny if that was just all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, Heinz is unrelated to the story, and a topic that I would so gladly do in the future. I mean, I think there will be a science episode in the future where you do Heinz. The only reason I didn't do Heinz this time is because it is more of a science to me than a history. Although it's both. Everything's history. Anyway, so our story starts where many stories often do. The Industrial Revolution. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Once again, people are leaving their farms and moving into the cities, which affects a lot of the aspects of life. One of which is food. Families were no longer growing and raising their own food sources. Uh, they were res- they were reliant on others to bring them their food. This is also a time where there's no refrigeration or really any laws to like encourage food health and safety, honesty. The FDA was not yeah. around. Which <clears throat> Heinz is the reason we have the FDA. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, so like, needless to say. There's some issues in food. Yes. Like, you could go and buy some meat from a butcher that's a month old, and he just, like, washed to get the growth, the mold and stuff off of it. So you watched a documentary, I don't know, close to a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I I vaguely remember you telling me, like, and it was all about this food stuff, about how horrible food was before. Vaguely recall you saying that they would put, like, formaldehyde? In food to keep it fresh? Yeah, so, again, that's a Heinz thing. Like, they would put whatever in to, like, preserve food. Or, like, as fillers. I feel like both of our reports are... Mine was Taoism, but kind of Confucianism. And yours is Kellogg, but kind of Heinz. Well, it's Kellogg. We keep asking questions that are bringing me back to (laughs) Oh, it's fine. Yeah, just... You know, when when you have your farm, like, that's your chicken that you kill. That you know exactly... Like, you've raised it from a chick, you know what I mean? Yep. So everything is fresh and good, and then we no longer have access to that. Yeah, it's just and, Joe and no Schmo's control. chicken. Yeah, and it could literally be... Not even so, chicken. So, yeah, seriously. I mean, there's literally a book about, like, how sausage is made. What is that? Isn't it called Animal, how, animal Farm? Hold on. Animal Farm is about communist animals. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it might also be about sausage. No, I all I, th- I do this every time. I think Animal Farm is about this. 
and I can never remember a book about burning books. About Fahrenheit 451? Yeah. We know stuff. Yeah. I took AP English Lit. Yeah, give us a question about that. It's called The Jungle. It exposed the appalling and unsanitary conditions in the meatpacking industry. And pioneered the kind of journalism known as muckracking. Muckraking? Muckraking. You can cut all that out, actually. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But you're so smart. Condition of food is bad. And that led to a lot of health issues. Yes. Which led to a need for doctors. And at that point, one of the sources I read talked about how a doctor was more likely to hold your hand while filling out the death certificate than to actually help you. Helpful. Yes, like medicine was just not kind of like the food industry, like not up to where it is now. Yeah. So one of, there's an up and coming doctor that's unlike any other doctor the world has seen. And his name is Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. And he had some interesting ideas. He took over a local establishment and called it Battle Creek Sanitarium near Battle Creek, Michigan in 1876 at the time a lot of his ideas were a little wonky but some of his ideas would be welcome today he was raised as a seventh-day adventist and brought a lot of his religion into the way he practiced Um, he pushed being a vegetarian avoiding alcohol tobacco and caffeine and he called this biologic living and we would probably call it like mindfulness or wellness today very Um, cool some more extreme ideas of his would be uh, daily yogurt enemas. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah. That's horrible. <laughs> that is horrible. Yeah. He oh. also... Oh, go ahead. Um, as a rule, I'm pretty against enemas of any variety. Interesting. I don't really think about enemas, so... I guess I'm blessed. <laughs> um, he also prescribed exercise, massage, massages... And lots of water. So again, like, some of his yeah. ideas today are... Water's great. Very normal, yeah. I'm maybe he a little al- overhydrated. <laughs> Oof, impossible. He also discouraged foods that were salty, fatty, greasy, and spicy, and believed that by avoiding those, your stomach and GI would be fine. And that's true, but also not eating rotting food that's filled with chemicals also help a lot yeah he really should have covered that one (laughs) yeah he was a popular guy and some of his patients were quite famous these included warren g harding the u.s president very cool abolitionist sojourner truth mary todd lincoln thomas edison and amelia Earhart. wow very cool yeah that is very cool another name that was there was cw post a nobody at the time who didn't even have enough money to stay at the health resort and spa. Well, and you really like him, right? He'll come up later. Okay. <laughs> um, another main character in the story is Will Keith Kellogg, who goes by W.K., and he is the doctor's younger brother by eight years. W.K. lived his entire life in his brother's shadow. He had poor eyesight and was considered dumb in school because of this. Like, he literally just, like, couldn't read what was being said. Sad. Yeah. 
wasn't he was 20 when he got his first pair of glasses wow how would you learn how to like that's yeah you're he you're just assumed dim-witted that's what they called it unfortunate mm-hmm so his parents put all of their money and effort to send his older brother to school and he got nothing uh, his older brother also bullied him his entire life, and it didn't stop in adulthood. W.K. ran the books and was his brother's assistant at the sanatorium, and it was rough. Some of the examples that are given is he would have to dictate notes while his brother was going to the bathroom. So he just have to stand <laughs> there. He'd also have to, his uh, brother would be I like, also do my best thinking. <laughs> on the toilet. On the toilet. <laughs> Uh, his brother would ride his bike, and W.K. was expected to follow him, like run after wow. him and ride. I mean, just, he humiliated so him So unnecessary. Yeah. He was also in charge of, or I guess not in charge, but he helped a lot in the kitchen for the sanitarium. He was a brilliant businessman. Good. Yeah. Once he got his glasses, he was fine. He was not dim-winded or slow at all. I love um, it. Love it for him. Yeah. So the doctor is trying to create all of these different foods that meet his criteria for healthy living and, and this great lifestyle. Um, one involved oats that were crumbled, which he named granola. Thanks, Kellogg. Yeah. That's cool. We're not here for the granola, though. Okay. <laughs> we're here for his corn-based cereal that he prescribed to his patients for breakfast. His brother recognized that they could go big with this, but the doctor disagreed. Wow. Mm -hmm. So this is literally just like... These are cornflakes. Corn. Not yet. I this apologize. is like corn that's turned into, like processed into little crunchy cooked bits. When they start, there's no sugar, no salt, no anything, and it's not served with milk. Sounds kind of horrible. Yeah. The Well, the patients liked it. Breakfast at this time generally is like either leftovers from the night before or like huge breakfasts, which are really hard to do. Yeah, yeah. Like eggs and bacon and all that. Yeah. Um, and we'll get a little bit more <clears throat> into that later. But, um, I mean, it did its job. It didn't upset people's stomachs. Yeah. So I know the story from that documentary I watched a year ago. So then today at work, I was like, well, I'll see if there's a podcast where I can find more information. That that little docuseries is created by the History Channel, and they also have a podcast <laughs> by the same name. So I essentially just listened to, but it worked out because it was like a great refresher. Yeah, that's great. But they had like other episodes, and like before Milton Hershey, most people didn't have access to chocolate. Like, that's in, in America, I should say. Like, that's nuts to me. Like, yeah. a life before chocolate. Tangent, but... And our kids are going to live in a life after chocolate. Yeah. I don't know. It's just crazy to think all types of things were, like, an in invention, if you will. Like, air quote invention. Yeah. So, WK is like, hey, let's make this good. Like, let's make this taste better. And this... We can make a lot of money on off of this. Like, let's manufacture... And mass produce this. Yeah. Um, I think it'll do great. However, John Harvey, John Harvey thought that it was it would be too gimmicky, 
And he was like, I'm a professional doctor. Like, this is not for the masses. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we're not going to do it. And there's no way we're adding sugar. I mean, he's maybe right there. Yeah. Um, As far as nutrition, but not as far as selling value-wise. Another person who thought I could go places was C.W. Post. (gasps) Remember him? Yeah. Your nemesis. Yeah. So in order to get the service at the sanitarium... He traded, like, he worked in their kitchen, and so he helped produce the cereal, mm-hmm. again, recognized all of its potential, left, and opened up his own factory and produced it, and he added sugar. The worst. <laughs> yeah. WK was furious that their idea was stolen, and his brother still wouldn't let them do anything about it. Yeah. Now, I kind of know the story already. But that being said, I think my favorite cereal is probably Cocoa Pebbles from Post. Mm-hmm. How does that make you feel? It's fine. What's your favorite cereal? I don't know. I go through phases. Same, actually. Right now, it's honestly Raisin Bran. Raisin Bran? Okay. Growing up, it was probably Rice Krispies. Really? I don't like Rice Krispies. I used to love Muesli, but it was expensive, so mm-hmm. I didn't get it very much. And it's basically Raisin Bran, but with like nuts. Yeah, I know. I, I'm really into granola, actually. Honey Bunches of Oats with Almonds is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Pretty boring cereals. I know. I I didn't really grow up eating, like, Lucky Charms or Pretty Pebbles. I'll tell you what. I will get my mouth around some Pop-Tarts, especially as a kid. That was every day what I ate. Yeah. And I still do. I was like, <laughs> and as an adult, but not every day. <laughs> not every day. Probably once a week at this point, and even yeah. that's too much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and posts. Names his little cereal Grape Nuts, which you can still find Ooh, today. Grape Nuts are horrible. <laughs> Those are probably my least favorite. <laughs> they're so gritty. Well, they're kind of the OG, OG cereal. Yeah, with, with sugar. Hmm. Well, yeah, the first, cornflakes are the a first huge step up. Mass-produced yeah. cereal. Okay, so Post has left. He stole the idea. So this is Post, Post. Post, Post. WK's mad. And one night... The dough, I guess, that they used to make the cereal was accidentally left out, and it started to ferment overnight. Oh, interesting. And they were like, oh, what, like, how can we save this, whatever. They decided to roll it out really thin and bake it, and then crumble it up, and that created a flake. Wow. So they have corn flakes. And once again, WK goes to his brother and says, hey... This is great. We can make so much money. Please let me produce this. And his brother says, no. I don't like this brother guy. Yeah, he's he's a character for sure. Fortunately slash unfortunately, in 1906, the sanitarium burned down. Very unfortunate. Why is this also fortunate? Because he needed about a million dollars to rebuild it. Which is like 35-ish million dollars today. So he said... Sell it so I can get money to rebuild my thing. Yay. Yeah. So WK finally gets the rights to sell. He adds sugar, malt, and salt to his cornflakes. Because they're, produ- they're a different shape and like a different process, it doesn't infringe on the post patent. Which Perfect. is dumb because it was already stolen. Um... <laughs> And he starts selling to the masses. And he does it super successfully because he is also really good at marketing and advertising. Way to go, WK. Yeah. 
he would give um, like samples and coupons and all these things. So he he actually like starts a lot of like marketing and advertising processes that we do today. Yeah, very cool. So again, so he's standing at Sam's Club. Fantastic. Yeah. With a tiny little cup, <laughs> and he's like, "Here you go, eat my flakes." Yeah, fantastic businessman. Or Costco, if you're that kind of person. Mm-hmm. So Post is upset. Because cornflakes are way better than grape nuts. And yeah, doing so much Absolutely. Better. So then he gets some engineers and creates like this rolling machine that will roll the dough out for him. And he gets that, buys the rights to that, and patents that so that Kellogg's can't use it. Whoa. But do they ferment it? Like, is it the same? I don't think... Cornflakes are normally fermented, and I still don't really understand the process. Like, I don't know how, if it's, like, moldy and, and going bad and fermented, how rolling it out fixes that. But, um, yeah, I, I guess, know. like, I, I, you know, I'm not there. I don't, I didn't see. Is so, it moldy, or is it just, like, the yeast? I really don't know. Okay, I'm sorry. trying to remember exactly how it was, like, said in the podcast. Yeah, no worries. I super remember how it was said in the documentary i saw a year plus ago there's another fire everything is burnt down at kellogg's place at his factory and when he's walking in the remnants he stubs his toe on one of the rollers thinks to himself so the patent says that he can't make any of these rolling machines but it doesn't say he can't fix the rolling machines (laughs) oh i love (laughs) i love useless legal jargon yes. being turned against the bad guy. So he gets the rolling machines installed and you know we we know now that Kellogg's and Post both become very successful companies. They have multiple cereals and, and mm-hmm. other products like Pop-Tarts as you mentioned. So like everything is fine. But back then it was a little rough because now not only is WK fighting his competition CW Post he gets sued by his jealous brother. Oh. John Harvey, who's used to being the golden child, is so jealous of the success of his brother. His golden brown flakes. Mm-hmm. Who is using his idea to make quotes, money. Yeah. yeah. So he starts producing a, a cereal that doesn't have any sugar under the Kellogg's name. Is it like Kellogg's official? No, just Kellogg's. Oh, okay, and then, gotcha. But his... WK is like, hey, this tastes bad, and you're going to ruin my business. <laughs> because people are going to think that my cereal is your cereal, and it's not good. And when they go to court, Dr. John Harvey says, you know, I deal with celebrities. Like, I'm the doctor. I'm the famous. I'm the famous Kellogg. Yeah. And WK says, hey, I'm the cereal guy. When you see Kellogg's on a box of cereal, it's me you're talking about. And the court ruled in his favor. So John Harvey has to... I think it could still say Kellogg's on it, but in like very, very, very small print. Interesting. Yeah. So that called for more bad blood between the brothers. And they don't really talk for the rest of their life. Like, they're, they're not really in the same room. They're, not a big loss for WK. Yeah. He was a jerk. He was. He was a horrible jerk to his brother. There, there's a story that says that Towards the end of his life, John Harvey writes his brother a letter and apologizes for just being such a jerk to him and saying it was so unnecessary and et cetera, et cetera. WK never gets it 
because the doctor's secretary doesn't send it because she thought it like made him seem weak so who is this i know john harvey died at the age of 91 and eight years later his brother also died at the age of 91 wow and just i know this is mostly about the invention of cereal but just to kind of round it out post was extremely successful as well unfortunately all of the stress and from running an empire and again he he was constantly sick he had like stomach issues and and stuff like that so he was always in pain and he actually ended up taking his life sad um he left his empire to his daughter which was very uncommon for the time like women were not yeah. in charge of things she's awesome good does a lot for women so like she's kind of like I mean that's that's a lot of people yeah she's kind of does a lot for like uh, convenience food in the in the sense of like how kind of cereal is convenience yeah. food right the granola bar maybe <laughs> yeah and just another fun fact she purchased a home in Florida a huge house which was later purchased by one Donald J Trump that's his Florida home. It was right. like the right. post home, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Today, Kellogg's is worth $21.38 billion. Pop-Tarts is easily 12 of that yeah. billion. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and like we kind of talked about earlier, this really just changed the breakfast game. Like, women no longer had to get up two to three hours before everybody to, like, cook a breakfast, get the stove going. Yeah, Brooke, you don't need to get up two to three hours before I me. I absolutely don't. I mean, you actually do. You don't have to. I mean, I have to go to work, so... No, I know. Anyway. But you wake up at five and you don't have to. on purpose. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, the breakfast game has changed. Cereal becomes a huge hit. Convenience food starts to emerge. And uh, all thanks to a kooky little doctor and his... Much cooler brother. Yeah. Very good. A little bit of news... We had a listener write in, and I thought it was a fun follow-up from last week's episode. Hmm. This listener was also our uh, only guest so far. It was Thomas Riley. Check him out at theamericansouthwest.com or his podcast, American Southwest. But he sent us a link to Wojtek, W-O-J-T-E-K, who is a soldier bear. He was a Syrian brown bear bought as a young cub at a railway station in Hamadan, Iran, by Polish soldiers who had been evacuated from the Soviet Union. In order to provide for his rations and transportation, he was eventually enlisted officially as a soldier with the rank of private, and was subsequently promoted to corporal. That's adorable. And there's a cute little picture of him. So I bring this up because we talked about how Winnie, the origin of, or the name origin for Winnie the Pooh, Mm -hmm. Is a real bear, and how it'd be fun if he was brought into battle, as his owner was a soldier. A soldier in World War One, and Thomas thought we should know that there are in fact some soldier bears. Very cute. Very cute. So, I appreciate that. If you would like to tell us something fun like that, or maybe even request a topic for next week or any other following week, you can do so by emailing us at trivialconpod at gmail.com you can also subscribe and tell a friend which would be greatly appreciated now before before we sign off we are going to roll a die 
to see our topic for next week. We've done three so far. So let's see how it goes. Geography. That was a one. Nice. You're so excited for geography. I do love geography. You do geography different than I do geography. Mm-hmm. That's okay. For some reason, I feel like geography is the... Hardest topic. No. <laughs> I really like it. The topic that is the most likely that we're going to do the same mm. subject. I mean, it's everything a big world. else is so... Well, yeah. Well, history. Like, uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's a big <laughs> world, but like it feels somehow much more finite mm-hmm. than everything else we do. Anyway. Sports. Yeah. Pff, who cares? Anyway, again, thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Have a great rest of your life. And we look forward to having you listen to us next week. Bye. Bye.